Welcome, everyone. It's great to have you back here tonight for week three of the Alpha Course. I want to welcome you, all you who are joining us online tonight as well. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed dinner. Pretty good. Yeah, great. Yeah. I don't know what you guys ate at home, but uh, it's pretty good here. So, uh, so thank you guys for being here. We have some folks I see maybe here for the first time, and maybe some, there's some folks at the first time here. Again, I'm Frank Loria, one of the elders here at Lakeview Christian Center, and we've had the privilege of doing the Alpha course here at Lakeview for, wow, this is our 36th time doing Alpha. And so I want to get right into tonight. We've got a lot to cover tonight. Tonight we're in session three, Why Did Jesus Die? A most important question. And... Uh, I'm looking forward to, to us looking at this information together. Well, um, as we discussed in our previous two sessions, a major aspect and purpose of Alpha is to encourage us to think, to critically think about not just what we believe about Jesus, God, the Bible, things that we say we believe are going to last forever, but why do we believe them? Why do we actually believe them? But the problem with us humans, us Americans, is that, that in this 90, these 90 mile an hour lives that we live, we can have a tendency of assuming or judging too quickly without enough evidence. And I'm just going to show you a few videos to drive home this point that judging prematurely or judging without enough evidence or maybe even with a built-in prejudice could bring us to the wrong Inclusion. I hope you conclusion. I hope you enjoy these. Thank you. encourage you, do not judge too quickly because you may just come to the wrong conclusion. But again, we are so glad you guys are here. Uh, and I guess you're here because you're not judging too quickly. You're spending some time to think about why you believe what you believe. And I think here's a fair question to ask ourselves. Have we assumed things about Jesus and the Bible without thoughtfully examining what we are banking our forever on. You know, we talked about the last two weeks about our physical life and the dash and life on the other side of our last heartbeat that so many of us believe is going to last forever and what the evidence is to support. Why do I live like I live in the dash? Have you just kind of been caught along with life? You're just kind of stuck in it. 
What's my meaning and my purpose here on earth? And is there life on the other side of my last heartbeat? Is there, are, are there any answers? I mean, that's the question. And that's what, that's what the Bible brings to us, answers. And is the Bible a reliable or rational source? Well, my assumption concerning the Bible and Jesus kind of begs this question. Now, think through this with me. Think through this with me. Is my faith position, what I believe about who God is and his acceptance of me based on my definition of God or God's definition of God? Now, now do you see the importance of that? Maybe you and I have a definition of who we think God should be. But here's the problem. What if God has a different definition of himself than I do? I wonder who's going to win that argument. So what is my faith position there? I mean, have I critically thought or sincerely but presumptuously assumed? And personally, well, I I had sincerely assumed. I can tell you a little bit more about myself. Growing up, I kind of grew up in a traditionally religious background. But my theology, you know, theology, study of God, my theology was really more me-ology. It's more meology. What what suited me? The religion that suited me. And and what suited me? The religion that suited me was maybe the same religion that suits you. And it's it's the worship of the BVM. Any ever worship the BVM? Maybe you have and you just don't realize it. Um, It's the blessed vending machine. So basically this wonderful blessed vending machine in the sky was, well, that was my God. And, And what I did was I... My works, the good things that I did became the currency that I would accrue to myself, fill my heavenly pockets with, so that when I needed something from God, I would just pull out the currency of my good works and my not doing bad things, and I would plunk them into the blessed vending machine so I got what I wanted and didn't get what I didn't want. And quite honestly, that's how a lot of us live. We think we've done a lot of good stuff, and so God is indebted to us to give us what we want and not give us what we don't want based on how we perceive ourselves. Well, that suited me, Um, but here's the thing. I had basically remade God into my image. In the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says that God said, let us make man in our own image, but Uh, I really wanted God on my terms. And so I had the first book of my Bible, the Gospel of St. Francis, which says, Francis said, let God be made in my own image. A God that was to my liking, manageable, so that he fit into my meology. And so I have my own meology. And you have your own urology. Well, no, you would have your own, you would have your own meology as well. That would be a different study, I think. But nonetheless, um, but you think about this. A meologist basically says, I am here and God is here. And God must do what I command him to do based upon what I have done. And really, if that's the case and my currency determines what God has to do for me and not do for me based upon my currency being my works then God is really, now think about this, we've got to think about this, God is really my step and fetch, he's my, he's my butler, he gets me what I want, and doesn't give me what I don't want, and he better not cross me, 
he better not do what I don't want him to do. So this brings us tonight to this topic, why did Jesus die? If you've got your, if you've got your uh, little alpha manual, we're on page 20 if you'd like to follow us. Um, I'll be a, a little bit in this tonight. This is a very, um, very, it's not very detailed at all, this topic tonight, but I want us to get deeply into this. So according to the Bible, and I hear this, according to the Bible, the answer that you and I give to this question in faith has got to be correct. If what the Bible says is true, I've got to get this answer right. If there's one question I've got to get right, it's this question. It is the most important answer we will ever give if the Bible is true, if Jesus, in fact, is raised from the dead. See, our lives in the dash and our lives on the other side of our last heartbeat depend upon how we answer this question. Let me share with you, John Stott, who's an author, uh, teacher, John Stott wrote this, and this is really interesting. He said, the reason why so many people, he might as well say, the reason why Frank gave the wrong answers to questions about the cross, why Jesus died, and even asked the wrong questions, is that they have carefully considered neither the seriousness of sin, one, the seriousness of sin, or two, the majesty of God. So think about this. On one hand, I'm, what are you saying? I'm like, this would define me to the T at, at one point in time in my life. I never really had anything but my perspective of how bad my self-centeredness, selfishness was. So I kind of judge that. It, eh, it, may not be, it may not be perfect. It may be bad. But it's not as, as bad as the way you people sin out there. It's not as bad as you. But that, so, I, so, I, so I kind of mitigated the, the seriousness of my sin. But also, so sin wasn't that sinful to me. But also this, I'd also downsized God to the way in which I assumed and presumed he should be. And so I never considered how horrific sin was, and I never considered how majestic God was, because it didn't fit my meology. Do you see that? It just, it just cut across the grain of what could be acceptable to me about God. And like I said, that was me. I had never given any serious consideration that God had a perspective that would be or may be different than mine, because... I had no clue what was in the Bible. And it contradicted, as I said, my own personal meology. Well, let's take a look at some scriptures tonight. We're going to take a look at a lot of scriptures tonight to just see what the Bible says. Now, look, I'm not asking you to believe this, okay? Do, do I believe this? Yes, I believe it. Do I believe it's true? Yes, it is. That doesn't mean it's true. But the problem that most of us have is that we say we don't believe the Bible. What don't you believe about the Bible? People don't know what they don't believe about the Bible because they just don't know what's in the Bible, and so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to open the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about God, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about us, and then we will report, and you can decide. I like that. Maybe I'll coin that. Um, so let's just look and see what the Bible has to say. So the Bible tells us, one, all from Genesis to Revelation, that God is holy. God is perfect. God is 100% perfect 100% of the time, always. Every decision he makes, everything he does, the Bible says he is perfect in all of his ways. But the Bible also says about me and you, holy, uh, not so much. Not so much. And all you need to do is get married to realize by asking your spouse how not so holy you actually are. 
And so let's look at a couple. Here's the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. Now look, this is, I know for some of us not, may, may not be familiar with the scripture. Romans has nothing to do with, and this is not, please, I don't mean this in a derogatory way. Romans has nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. This is hundreds of years before the Roman Catholic Church was even a thought. Okay, so this is Paul writing to a first, the, a first century church in the city of Rome. And look at what he says here. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me, let me just take this. So all have sinned and, and fall short. That means they, they, they don't live up to what's acceptable to God. So all of us have sinned and have, as a result of that, not met God's standard of holy perfection. Now, I don't mind all, okay? And I don't necessarily mind sinned. But, but here's the thing, when it gets pointed and specific. So when you say Frank has sinned, uh, Carol Lynn has sinned, Boyd has sinned, Fanny has sinned, okay? Okay, when it's all that way, whoa, whoa, you're getting a little tight, tight here on this. But sin is one thing, is what, yeah, we know that. But um, Nicholas, you have lied, you have stolen, you have not honored your mother and father, Jamie. You know, you have cheated on your taxes. You have done all that you have sinned, and as a result of that, come short of God's glory. And we have, don't we have lots of historic evidence about how much we have fallen short of a standard that is impossible for you and me to make. So this is, this is news that is, I'm going to give you some news at the beginning of the evening. It's not good news. Okay. So just give me some time. Bear with me. Don't hang up. Don't change the channel. Stay with me. All right. All have sinned. I have sinned. Now, but but God's, this is, God's score, God's acceptable score is this. It's only 100%, 100% of the time. And I have not scored 100%, any percent of the time. And so all have sinned. All have come short. Every human being that's ever breathed breath has done that thing which has transgressed the perfection of God. Also in Romans. Look, there is... None righteous, not even one. Okay, what's righteous? Righteous is another word for holy or perfect or just. There is none right, 100% right, not even one. So you and I may think we're better than one another in some form or fashion, but there's one that we're not better than. And we know who that is. And so God says, because you have fallen short of that which is acceptable to me, you are, you are not acceptable to me. Now, that's either true or it's not. But it's what the Bible clearly, clearly tells us. And, and look, many assert and believe, as I did, that, that we are accepted by God um, by keeping the Ten Commandments. I've asked people that question, a lot of people. How do you believe you're going to go to heaven? How do you believe God accepts you? Well, it's by keeping the Ten Commandments. Well, let me ask a question. Um, how many of you in this room have kept the Ten Commandments? All ten of the Ten Commandments. Wait, how many of you and... No, there's, there's no... I, I see that person raising their hand, but you have not kept the Ten Commandments. Um, and so, uh, how many of us even know the Ten Commandments? All right, well, good, good for you, Deb. It's not going to get you to heaven for knowing them, but that's, it makes you even better worship. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, but, but here's the interesting thing. When over a thousand people were asked the question, uh, how many of you know the Ten Commandments? There were 14% of the people knew all ten, which I think is a pretty good number. About 150 people 
knew the Ten Commandments. But here's another thing. 80% of the people knew the ingredients of a Big Mac, two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. So I guess what that means is more people are more aware as to how to get through the golden arches than to get through the pearly gates. Uh, Laugh track, please. So anyway. I know you wanted that one. I knew you. So how good do I think I am? Here's the question. Well, let me just tell you, I've already been telling you, you are, you're worse than you think you are. You, you really are. You are you're worse than you think you are. And let me prove it to you. Um, let's just say for a moment that we could put a thought monitor on your shoulders, okay? A, a, a television monitor, computer monitor, it's, it's attached Okay, from the monitor to a little USB port in the back of your neck that you didn't know was there. And you just click it in and every thought that you have gets transported to everyone that can, can see you. Okay, so, so you know, it's, it's, it's COVID season. Um, and so you're, you know, you're in line at the, at the grocery store and, uh, you know, I don't have my mask with me right now, but, you know, I have my mask on and... You know, and this, this person turns around to me and he sees that I'm not exactly standing on, you know, the little circular thing that says keep your distance. I'm sorry, that little circular thing that says keep your distance. I, I, I'm like a foot in front of it. The guy turns around to me and says, hey, back off, pal. Don't you see you're not standing on the thing? And, like, and I go, oh, so I'm, I'm really, really sorry about that. But up on the monitor, <laughs> the moment he turns around, I get a running start with my grocery cart and I am just plowing into that guy. And it's all there for everybody to see. I mean, imagine how many of us would be behind bars right now if what we thought people could see. But just worse than that, gentlemen, has your wife ever come home? She's bought a dress. And she's tried that dress on for you. And she says, "Um, sweetheart, uh, do you think this dress makes my rear end look big? And you say, gentlemen, if you have any sense, oh, no, sweetheart, that just fits you perfectly. But up on the thought monitor is a picture of a sausage factory where it's just cramming the sausage into the lining. And uh, so, thank God we don't have uh, thought monitors. But guess what? Someone knows our thoughts. See, I had... No idea this was that which the Bible taught. I had no idea the Bible put me under such scrutiny. So, so I mean, here's, here's something that Jesus says along the lines of that in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 7. He says this. He says, from within. Okay, so good point here. Forgive me for interrupting myself. From within, that means inside of you and me. It says we can't blame our environment. We can't blame our parents. This is, this is a part of our natural DNA. From within, from, for, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, uh, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. In other words, they make that person unlike God. 
that make that person unholy, unacceptable. And the Bible says that there is a penalty to that. It, there's a penalty. And so Paul writes also to the church at Rome, he writes this, the wages, for the wages of sin is death. Now let me just talk about this for a minute. Let's just define terms. I think it's important to define terms. Wages, what are wages? Something you earn, right? You go to work, you get your wages. There's something you work for. Well, the wages of sin, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is doing something contrary to that which God desires or contrary to the character of God. Well, he says the wages of sin is death. Well, let's just talk about death for a minute because in the Bible, death is not annihilation. You don't cease to be. In the Bible, death is spiritual separation. It's being separated from God. And that's what the Bible says. So we go back to Genesis, the third chapter of Genesis, and we see what this is all about. So there's trees in the garden. God puts two trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of eternal life. And God says, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of this tree, the fruit of this tree, you shall surely die. So what happened according to the Bible? Adam, Eve partook, they ate, and they didn't die. Or did they? They did. They died immediately in relationship to God. They were separated from God. They wanted to be as God. They believed God was holding out on them and they said, we'll do it our way. And they were immediately separated from God. They died in terms of their relationship with God. Now, in terms of their relationship with one another, that tension was beginning. Welcome to 2020. And in terms of their relationship with their body, they eventually died. Died immediately in their relationship with God. Was dying in their relationship to one another and would eventually die in their relationship to their bodies. Every one of us is going to put off this, this shell that we are in. And so the wages of sin is death. And then God talks through the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus he says this, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, iniquity is just a $9 word for sin, selfishness, doing what you want, the hell with everybody else, made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. And so what the Bible tells us is there is a, a separation between God and man. Not, I mean, the longest, the person that's, that's jumped the longest in a long jump competition, I think, is just over 29 feet. We're not talking about 29 feet. We're not talking about 30 feet. There is, the Bible teaches, an eternal chasm between a holy God and unholy you and me. And so what what do we do about that? What does man do about that? Well, let me share this with you. All religions of what I'll call a validating performance record, okay? It's a performance record where you or I attempt to validate ourselves before God and before other people by performing appropriately, okay? So that performance record validates us, a validating performance record to try to deal with this chasm. And so let me teach you right now just something that, if any of you have ever considered taking a comparative religion class, um, let me save you a lot of money. 
I will now give you enough information to where you know enough about the differences between world religions. So here's world religions, Christianity, God, man. This is the separation. We're just using this as the chasm between man and God. And so what, what do we do? Well, we attempt, we do the best we can through religion to try to somehow ford that chasm. We try to somehow bridge that gap to where God will accept us. Well, every religion in the world teaches basically you have a performance record that validates you before God and you get to go to heaven, nirvana, paradise, wherever it may be. And so these are, and these, these are the world religions. Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, and the ever, ever increasing in popularity religion of whatever. Whatever. It just, I don't know. So, but every one of these, Islam, you know, the five pillars of faith, of Islam, maybe um, in Buddhism, the eightfold path of enlightenment to one reincarnation after another. But every one of them, though there may be different paths, all of them teach your record of performance, your record, what you do, must validate you, or you are invalid. You are not validated. So this is what every world religion teaches. I'm not trying to tell you, though, though I do not agree with these, I'm sharing with you what these teach. And then look at Christianity. Biblical Christianity teaches this, that God says, there is nothing you can do. Do the best. Nicholas may be better than Donnie. Janie may be better than Donna. It doesn't matter. None of you are going to be perfect 100% of the time. Therefore, the Bible teaches, based on your efforts, you're not going to make it. You may feel good about yourself on a good day and bad about yourself on a bad day. But apart from the intercession, the intervention of God, as Christianity teaches, we will not be accepted by God. And so what does Christianity teach? This is what it teaches. We're here, God's here. God says he knows that there's nothing that you and I can do to be commended to him. And so he sends his son to live the life, the perfect life you and I could not live and die the death for the, our punishment for our sin. We deserve to die, but Christ died and took on our penalty for us. And so we, we see here that God does for us what we cannot do for himself. God sends his son to die for us. We do everything in our power to attempt to reach him. And you and I know, if we're going to think about this, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, you and I know, even ourselves, I may measure up to some of you guys out here, but I know within myself what comes out of me. And it's important, so important, to be honest with ourselves about that. So, okay, so let's, you ready for a little good news? I think that would be appropriate about right now. Okay, so let's look at what Peter has to say here. Um, this is First Peter, he's writing to followers of Jesus Christ. He is writing to people that, who, who believe, believe this message of the cross of Christ. Here, here's what Peter writes. He says, and he himself, forgive me, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin, 
and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Okay? He bore our sins. Okay, you know what he bore? He carried, if you will. He carried all of our sins. According to the Bible, the ones we did, the ones we are, and the ones we will commit. He bore our sins in his body on the cross that you and I might not. This is important to hear, that we might die to something and come alive to something. Right? So that we may die to sin. Let me just do this for a minute here. Okay. When, we, when you and I are born, we are plugged in. Forgive me, I could. I just so happen to have this. Um, so we are plugged in to death. We are, as a result of our father Adam, his DNA, you and I are born spiritually separated from God. And this is what the scripture says, that you might die to sin. Now, what does die mean? Separated. That you and I may be separated from the death that comes from sin. And, what does it say? And be unplugged from that. And, here's another one. And live to righteousness. Be plugged into righteousness. My life, I'm taken out of separation from God based on what Christ did. And I am plugged into his right standing before God. See, I'm taken out of death and I'm plugged into life. It's not just I joined some Christian church. No, I take on a new identity as God unplugs me from my separation from him by the cross and plugs me into him to not be removed from that life. Separated from death, connected to life. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ does. It's not a self-help program. As a matter of fact, it is the exact opposite of that. When a person realizes they can't help themselves, they, if you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing a dead person can do for themselves. Christ initiates what you and I could not initiate for ourselves, according to the scripture, that you and I would no longer be dead in our sins, but alive in him and accepted by him. Oops. Okay. So he himself bore our sins. Now, this, look at this. Um, another scripture from Peter. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins. Or Christ died for your sins. Once for all. The righteous, that would be Christ. For the unrighteous, that would be me. That would be you. Why did he do that? To bring you to God. Now, I don't want us to run, away, run past this because what the Bible teaches in the midst of showing us how bad our situation is, it also shows us how bad, if I may use that word, God has worked to bring us to himself. So we are totally dead Christ comes to take on our death so that you and I can have life. Christ dies for your sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to do what? To bring you to God. Now, this is what I think is so awesome about this particular scripture, particularly if it's true. He did this not just to forgive me, to say, you know, I really don't like you, uh, but I forgive you. Now, just go stand over in the corner over there because I really don't want much to do with you 
except forgive you because I have to. That is totally at odds with what the Bible teaches. Not only does Christ die to forgive us, to make us acceptable to God, look at what it says he does. He brings us to God. He sits us at the table with God. He says, I love you and I want you to be with me. This is not just some academic activity. This is a, a performance of immense eternal intimacy that I am forgiven, accepted, and brought to God. Can you imagine better news than that if this is truth? No, I don't think so. And then I love what the Apostle Paul says to show us that there is no work, no way I will be commended to God by my performance record. I will not be validated by my own efforts. This is what Paul says to the church in the region of Galatia. He says this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Okay, let me just talk about that before I read the rest of the scripture. Okay, grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is receiving that which you and I do not deserve. We didn't do anything to deserve this. I mean, I thought grace was just what you said before dinner, right? But grace is what God extends through us in sending Jesus to to live the life you and I could not live perfectly and to die the death you and I would have had deserved to die eternally if not for God's intervention in coming to forgive me, accept me, and rescue me and bring me to himself. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. In other words, I'm not setting aside unmerited favor. I will not do that. That is the centerpiece of everything a Christian stands on is the grace of God. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Jesus to die. This was like, duh, I'd never seen this. If I could commend myself to God through my church attendance and giving and charitable works and, and uh, all those other things, Jesus could have just come, just give me a pep talk, pat, pat, uh, pat me on the butt, pop me on the butt and say, go get him, tiger. You can do this. Why does he die? Why so extreme of a punishment if it wasn't necessary? Because it was necessary. Because a holy God cannot accept an unholy person without his holy intervention. Wow. It's got to be one way or the other. It's either God's grace or my validating performance record, which, according to the Bible, never validates me. And you know that. You know that internally. I'll read this to you. Jesus did not come simply to be, an, to be uh, an example, impossible to emulate. He came to be our Savior. Validating performance record religion gives us rules and laws for us to attempt to defend our self-determining meology. That's so me. But VPR, Validating Performance Record Religion, does not give us a savior to receive. Because in VPR religion, we don't need to be saved. We don't need to be rescued. We just need to be improved. I just need to be a little bit better than what I am, really. See, only in Christianity, again, 
don't believe it's true, that's fine. At least you know this is what I'm saying. Only in Christianity is there a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus the Christ. Every other religion is keep the commandments, keep the rules, keep the pillars, keep the, the, the eightfold path of enlightenment. Keep do, 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 and then keep your fingers crossed. Hope you die on a good day. Um, but how improved is the question. How good is good enough? Well, let's just take a look here because... I mean, Jesus, according to the Bible, accomplished for you and me what we could not accomplish in a million lifetimes, much less reincarnations. God is unlike us. He is perfect always in all of his ways. I want to do this. I want to just kind of look at, just for a moment, look at some of the, what the Bible teaches are God's attributes. What is the character of this God? Well, let's just take a, a look at some of these. Uh, The Bible teaches that God is love. We've heard that and we appreciate that God is love. We like that part. We want him to be love. Um, He's holy. He's perfect. I'm a little, uh, not real settled with that. Not not sure what to do with holy or perfect in all those ways. He is merciful. I like mercy. You like mercy? I like mercy. Okay. Uh, He is wisdom. He is all wisdom. The Bible says he's all knowledge. All right. The Bible says he is patient. I appreciate patience. The Bible also says he is justice. Now the Bible teaches that God is 100% of these things 100% of the time. He cannot compromise holy for the sake of justice. He cannot compromise mercy for the sake of justice. He cannot compromise love for wisdom or any of those things. Being God, he must be 100% all of his attributes 100% of the time without compromise. Let me just give you an example of that for a minute. Let's just say um, I'm a judge, and um, let's just say Jamie is in my, my, my courtroom. Jamie, I hope you don't mind. Um, no, you don't know what I'm going to do yet, so you, you may mind. But let's just say Jamie is in my courtroom. Uh, her husband's with her, but it's no good because he cannot help. And Jamie is in my courtroom. I'm a judge. She's in my courtroom because she has been caught stop going 50 miles an hour in a school zone. Now, I know Jamie. um, I'm a judge, but it's a Louisiana court, so we're not going to pay any attention to that, right? So so the fine for for, uh, speeding in a a school zone is $10,000. And uh, I say, um, uh, Jamie, what do you plead? She says... "Um, well, uh, I really'd rather not plead. I, you know, I just—I was late for work. I'm the kids. My husband just was would not let me leave the house, and uh, I just—I just—I had to get somewhere quickly. And I'm sorry. I just—I just blew it. I don't. Um, uh, if you—if you look at my record, you could see. I said I have looked at your record, and I definitely see what you don't want me to see. And uh, so I said, but uh, Jamie ap- approached the bench. And Jamie approached the bench and I say, um, Jamie, if I ever see you in my courtroom again, I am going to have to throw the book at you. But I'm going to let you go this time. Now, how would mercy do with that? A lot of mercy. What got compromised? Justice got thrown out the window. Okay, back in the courtroom. Jamie's liking this. 
Okay? But guess, guess who's not liking this? All the parents of all those kids that just got nearly killed because of her 50-mile-an-hour driving. So, okay, let's say we're back in the courtroom, and I say, guilty, 10 grand. Justice satisfied? Yeah. How do we do with mercy on that one? Not very well. But here's the thing. I, I, let's say I put down the gavel and I say, guilty is charged. And I come around from the bench. I take off my judicial robes. I pull out my checkbook. And I write a check for $10,000. Has justice been satisfied? Yes, it has. Has mercy been extended? Oh, yes, it has. See, this is the picture of what Jesus has done. In his great patience with us, in his great love, in his great mercy, and with his great wisdom and knowledge, devised a plan where he could be both just and merciful at the same time. And the Apostle Paul expresses this in Romans chapter 3. He writes this. Um, he says, all have sinned. We've looked at that. But being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be, catch this, to be just, justice. And the one who justifies with mercy, the one who has what? Faith in Jesus. And so Christ becomes the one that in his justice pays the penalty and in his mercy is the penalty that was paid. His life took on all that was due by us to God. You see, when the Bible says here the wages of sin is death, it is. But, here's the rest of the scripture, the free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk a whole lot next week about what it means to be in Christ Jesus. But the wages of sin, what you've earned, what I've earned is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let me just give you an example of this, this gift. What does it mean to, to have this gift? How do you receive this gift? What what is that? Well, let me, just, let me just use an example here for a minute. I guess maybe I can just use this. Um, and uh, maybe I'll do this with you. Uh, maybe we can strike that. Carolyn, may I? Would you be so kind? Now, I want you to turn this way just a little bit for me. Okay, so, all right. Now, this is something I want to give you. Okay, you need this. It's going to save your life. Just, just play with me here. Okay, all right. Now, and I want to give it to you. I, it costs me... An, an immeasurable amount to be able to give this to you so that you can live. And I'd like you to have this. How much is it going to cost you? How much is it going to cost you if it's a gift? That's right. So how much is it going to cost you? Very good. Okay. So it's not going to... Can you work for it if it's a gift? No. Can you earn it if it's a gift? No. No, because it's a... Gift. You're getting this. Okay. So... So... I want you to have this. How much good is it doing you in my hand? No. When does it do you some good? In my hand. Yeah. Would you like it? 
Okay. Okay. You can have it if you'd like to take it. Okay. Would you like to take it? Sure. We'll go ahead. <laughs> Would you like to have it? Sure. Sure. We'll go ahead and take it. Take it? Just take it. Just take it. Okay, great. Yeah, now give it back. Okay. <laughs> now, um, okay, so, I, but here's what the Bible says. Go ahead. So, it doesn't do us any good. It doesn't do her any good until she takes it. See, and why does she take it? Because she believes that what she has taken will change her life, will save her life. In the courtroom, Jamie could have said to me, uh, Frank, uh, thanks, but I'll figure, I don't have 10 grand, but I'm going to figure out some way to do it. I'll be doggone if you're going to pay my way. You see, you either pay your way or Christ pays the way. And you and I already know intrinsically that we don't have it in us pay the way and so what does God do he pays the way and he offers us the gift but until I accept the gift it does you and me no good until you and I accept the doctor's diagnosis that you're going to die if you don't take this until you believe his determination you and I will do nothing and Jesus says your condition is terminal but I have come to give you life. I have come to forgive you, accept you, and bring you to God. Thank you, Carolyn. So we, when we respond to this, we receive the remedy, is what the Bible teaches us. The pollution of sin is removed because what Christ did on the cross for us cleanses us. His blood, the Bible says, cleanses us of all of our sin, all of our impurities. The power of sin, the Bible says, is broken okay, by the truth of who Jesus is. And so we choose to believe the truth and now no longer a record of validate a, a record of performance that I believe validates me before God. And then the penalty, the most important thing, the penalty of sin is paid in full. When Jesus hanged there, the Bible says when he hanged there, right before he died, he said, it is finished. And what that literal word in the Greek, tetelestai, literally means paid in full. It's an accounting term. Every one of your and my rebellions against God, past, present, and future, paid by believing him. We're going to talk much more about this next week. But, but here we are with this again. The motivation of God. What is the motivation of God? That's a good question. Why would God be motivated to us? And I don't know that I know the answer to that question other than what the Bible tells me. And this is what it tells me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish eternally on the other side of your last heartbeat, my last heartbeat, he said, I, you will be with me forever, but have eternal life. Now, I, I, I love that. You know, and, and, you know, this word, for God so loved the world, I love that. The world's a big place. But you know what else is big to God? You are big to God. I remember when Annette, 40-some-odd years ago, surrendered her life to Christ and... 
Um, and she heard a pastor say that if you'd have been the only person that ever walked on planet Earth, Jesus would have come just for you. Um, wow. And that's what the Bible says. So the world's a big place. But to you and me, you are big. And I just wanted to encourage you to do this. For God so loved, insert your name. That he gave his only begotten son so that if, insert your name, believes in him, insert your name, shall not perish. But you shall have eternal life forever. Life purposeful, meaningful, not free of suffering, in the dash, and life forever with him, never to end in the line. So, what do I do with that? How do I respond to this gift? What do I do? Well, first off, when you respond to this gift, I want you to understand this. Typically, when you receive a gift, something happens. And what happens is, as we talked about, you get unplugged from death and you get plugged into life. A new life begins, which we're going to talk about a lot next week. But this, I want you to understand, I, I would like to lead you in just a moment, in just a short way of communicating to God that you would like to receive that gift. You'd like to receive the gift. You may say, well, that's too easy. Well, it may be too easy for you and me, but I would argue, and we'll talk more about this later, it's not easy because to say yes to Jesus is to say no to ego, pride, doing it your way. And you know how you and me humans are, don't you? We don't die easily. We don't say we need something or someone easily because we're Americans, doggone it. But he offers this to us. And what does he look for? A response. We're going to talk about that response a whole lot more next week. But I want you to understand this. You may be sitting here thinking, well, I, I don't want to leave my church or my denomination. I, I, maybe I do want to know Jesus, but does this mean I have to leave my church or my denomination or... Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with that at all. What it means is you are stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ that will last forever. You're stepping out of your meology like I stepped out of my meology. I'm stepping out of my record or performance attempting to validate myself before man and God. And I'm saying yes to him. We can't exchange. God wants us to exchange our validating performance record for Jesus. And, and I just want to go through a, a, a prayer, just communication with God, something right now that I think maybe if you're there and you'd like to just, just be quiet and still wherever you are in some living rooms or dining rooms tonight or just here in this meeting room. And you say, you know, I've played with this stuff with God for a while, didn't quite understand it, maybe understand a little more clearly tonight. But I, 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 want, I want to know Christ. I want him to take over, take control of my life. Well, there's nothing about magic about the words that I'm about to put on this screen, but it may describe what's in your heart. And if so, let this just be a quiet time with you and with God about the most important decision you will ever 
make in your life. And you could just say something like this. God, I know now that I have been a meologist trying to improve and save myself on my own terms, not yours. But tonight, I realize that I need you to be my Savior. I cannot save myself. By faith, I humbly receive your gift of eternal life. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus, I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming to earth to save even me. Thank you for bearing my sins. Sorry. And giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And be my Lord and my Savior now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I just want to encourage you. Um, Tonight, we're going to have a little card for you. If you want to take that little prayer home with you, again, nothing magic about those words. Uh, But if it's what's coming out of your heart, God will hear you and heed you and never leave you. So um, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do that, I want to just... For those of you guys who may be uh, watching, if, if you want to, you can just, or any of you guys can do this, just download the Lakeview Christian Center app. You know, here we're going through discussion questions. I know some of you guys online have been going through discussion questions. You can just download the Lakeview Christian Center app, go to uh, week three, and just click that open, and there'll be some questions for you. If you're just watching by yourself, you can just go through these questions yourself and question yourself on, on how you feel about those things. Or if you're in a group of people like we're about to do tonight, just go over and talk about some of these things together. Next week, session four, okay? Uh, How can I be sure of faith? One of my, this is one of my favorite chapters. And I just want to tell you this, for those of you who would like to continue, we've decided we're going to go on beyond four weeks if you would like to do that. Whether live stream or here, it's going to look just the same. We're going to go on and we will just continue to go through topics like how and why do I read the Bible? How why do I pray? How do I pray? What about evil in the world? Um, the person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you grew up in anything like me, I had no idea what, who he was. What about the church? I mean, what's the Bible really teach about the church? And then the last week will be, what do I do with the rest of my life? I mean, where do I go from here? What do I do? So if you want to continue after next week, we want to encourage you to do that. It's going to look just like this, completely free, Great food. We don't start handing out the beanie weenies in week five. I mean, it's just really great food. Uh, That'll continue. And we would love for you, welcome you to be a part of this as well. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys back here in just a few minutes. And we hope to see you guys watching this live stream same time next week. Y'all have a good night.